Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and today you're listening to Percolating on Faith. But not just percolating on faith. No, no, no. This is even a hotter and stronger shot of your espresso because you're listening to a subset of percolating on faith, God Shot. I'm here with my guests, Charmaine and Tony Shabala-Smith, to talk about the good creation and why God calls it good. I mean, what does that actually mean? But we're jumping into that really soon. But first, hi, Tony. Hi, Charmaine. Welcome back. Hi, Carla. Good to hear you. Hi, Carla. We're happy to be here. Oh, I'm so glad because, really, this podcast would be pretty bad if it were just me. <laughs> so thank goodness you'd say yes every do- single time. I doubt that. I think it would be fascinating to have these tables turned and for us to ask you questions. Please, God, never let that happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I-, I propose a new subset called Carla Shots. <laughs> I think that's a horrible idea. <laughs> um, well, I what I'm going to do to start this off is... Um, Since we're talking about good creation, of course, we have to go straight to Genesis, Genesis 1. And I'm going to read just a couple verses, about five verses, and I think we can jump in it from there. But I want to get your mind all ready to go about this good creation Mm -hmm. stuff. So I'm starting at verse 26, and I'm reading from the new RSV. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for your food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so God saw everything that he had made. And indeed it was very good. And then there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay. <laughs> so, I, my first question is a little bit, has to do with that, but really, I mean, we're, we're talking about, what does that, I'm just going to say it, what does this have to do with systematic theology? Why is this in a systematic theology lesson? So, if we think back to other things we've shared in this series and, and other podcasts, um, Systematic theology starts in the late second, early third century in the Christian church as a form of preparation for baptism. And the primary text that was used in preparing uh, Greeks and Romans uh, to become Christian was a text that, uh, at least in the western part of the Roman Empire, ultimately became what we call the Apostles' Creed. And so that, that text is <clears throat> it was basically going to be the the pledge of allegiance, so to speak, that these pagan converts to Christianity had to had to learn how to say and sign up for, and so systematic theology tried 
try very hard to explain every single aspect of this text. And that text begins very simply, uh, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's its first, its, its, its first line. And so that part of the creed had to be explicated to people who, for whom it was really strange and foreign. And also, Carla, why this was so important in Christianity in that period is because in, in, in Christian communities there were other voices who were teaching a view of the world and the universe and of human beings that was really contrary to what that text was trying to say. Um, we will introduce you to the term uh, Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a trend in religion in the Greco-Roman world that was highly dualistic and it, it treated the physical world as a giant, a big giant mistake. Uh, matter was considered evil and a problem and what was what really counted was spiritual reality which was which which was which really had nothing to do with material reality and so very early Christian theology said no that's wrong we we've inherited this thing called the Old Testament uh, Christ became flesh and blood we celebrate that in the Lord's Supper we we think our bodies matter we think the creation matters and so the reason <clears throat> creation became an important doctrine right from the start in Christian theology was as a way to counter this dualistic idea that somehow uh, matter is bad and spirit is good. And the church was trying to say, no, 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 God is the creator of the whole thing. The whole, the whole thing, like Genesis says, is very good. Plants, animals, stars, fish, sea, uh, every, everything, every created thing, including human beings, are very good. So that's how it got started, Carla, and why, and why it's so important. And we still have to try to uphold that today, that the creation is very good. So in the, in the passage I just read, it, I mean, there's a lot of things to unpack in there uh, for me. And one of the things that I feel like I need to unpack is, is some of the language that was used. For instance, the word dominion um, that, and I'm quoting here, man has dominion over nature. And also um, the word image. God talked about creating in our image or in my image. or So I kind of wanted to unpack those words, if that's okay. Can we talk about the word dominion and also the word image? Sure. Actually, let me reverse and let's start with the word image first. Um, and this is a place where you have to be careful not to uh, go to dictionary definitions of words, but you have to let the story and what we know about its cultural context explain what the words mean. And so, when the when the Genesis uh, when the Genesis story, and this is actually Genesis has two creation stories right at the start, right? Genesis one and then Genesis two and three, two different. Two very different stories, two very different settings and authors woven together into this book we call Genesis. So when the Genesis 1 creation story ends with, uh, or, or towards the end of it, when it talks about human beings being created in the image of God, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that there's this like thing inside of us uh, that is the image. And it's not referring to our rationality. 
it's not referring to some part of us. It's actually referring to a role. So the Hebrew word for image is tselem, and the Hebrew linguists will tell you that it's connected to an older word. Um, I think it's an Akkadian word, much older word, tselmu, which meant, which was the word that was used to describe an image that an emperor set up in every village and city of his empire, basically to remind everybody of who was in charge. So the the Genesis, first Genesis creation story takes that word over and applies it to human beings. Human beings, not emperors, human beings have a God-given role. It's to represent God everywhere in the world. That's what it means to, to be in the image of God. We Our role is to image God in the world. And the idea of dominion here, again, you don't want to do a, a dictionary definition of it, um, that's been a constant problem in Christian ethics to treat treat creation like this, this thing we get to trounce over. Actually, the narrative gives us the meaning of the word. And so human beings are created to image God everywhere around, everywhere. And God's dominion is a dominion not of force or might, but a dominion of um, generosity and abundance. God simply creates there's no there's unlike the pagan creation stories there's no conflict there's no contest there's no uh, uh, enemy that God has to defeat and then and and turn its body into the creation God God simply makes room for others and brings them into being and so dominion here uh, means making space it means making space for others and tending guiding, shepherding, caring for each other. So the, the Genesis 1 vision of the world and creation is that we're an interconnected whole. Human beings are images of this abundant and generous and gracious God and our role is to tend to take care of as God would take care of. So that's kind of what's going on there. And so what we see here is one of the the problems that often happens when people read the Bible um, because they want it to be about us, um, to make it human-centric. And so in the reading of that passage, that's often what has happened, is that it, oh, who are we? You know, what do we get to be more than above um, dominating over um, when actually the story is about who is God? What is the nature of God that we as um, holders of that image are to uh, be responsible for in the world? Instead, we take the words that give us the sense of prominence and being better than the rest of creation to then excuse us for abusing the world around us for our own sake. Um, so as so often happens when we read the Bible, uh, we have this tendency to think it's all about us. And actually, no. <laughs> you know, this is about trying to express what is the nature of God? How does God see God's creation, whether it be humanity, whether it be animals, whether it be the cosmos? So I think that's a, 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 good, a good place to remember that uh, our egocentrism 
uh, is a bit of a problem <laughs> when we come to the Bible. Um, and that's true not only of Genesis, but of a lot of other places <laughs> as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Carla, that, the passage you read, at the end it says, and God saw everything God had made and called it very good. I think sometimes we kind of read, want to read that read the story in Genesis 1 and it we, we think that it it ends with the creation of humanity and then that's very good but that's not what it says uh, before there were ever human beings in this in this storyline there are you know there's there's the lights in the sky and there's the seas and the fish and everything and each thing and there was evening and there's morning and there's the first day and the second day and each thing is good and then in the storyline God doesn't God, it doesn't say that that human beings are very good. It says God saw everything God made and declared it very good. In other words, there's this kind of instinct in the story to say that humanity and fish and microorganisms and water and everything else, we are supposed to be in this together. There's a kind of an organic connection between us all and that's what's very good. So yeah, we have to be really careful not to insert our egos into this text, which has unfortunately been a problem. Well, that's kind of the direction I wanted to go next, Tony. Uh, it sounds like to me that humans want to separate ourselves out because we're better than we walk on two feet, we have opposable thumbs, so on and so forth. We, we think that we are very, very good <laughs> rather than just very good. So, so, but what we're, it sounds like we're saying is that we are not at all separate from creation. We are all interrelated and we're not independent of creation either. And I'm guessing that's what's causing a lot of problems right now. We, we see ourselves as separate from mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. around us. Yeah. And wow, we can see that in so many places. And, uh, you know, it seems like we don't ask ourselves so what is our relationship to the physical world around us whether we see that as nature or the earth or the cosmos um, we it hasn't been a strong part of our Christian uh, ways of thinking to ask ourselves what is our relationship and what should be our relationship with the rest of the world with yeah the rest of the world the rest of, rest of creation and, you know, I just want to kind of put out there the, the idea that what, what would it be like if we thought about our relationship with the natural world, with creation, as a relationship? You know, we kind of frown, and rightfully so, on relationships between people where one person is the user you know, one person just is me, 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 me. It's all about me, and I want you to be there for me, and I want you to listen to me, and I want you to take care of me, and, you know, all of those things. And, you know, we re recognize that is not a healthy relationship. Um, but isn't that exactly how we often treat the natural world? And if we were to think of it as an entity that we have a relationship with, um, a two-way relationship, I think that would really help us get our minds around um, some of the aspects of that passage about how God intends or how God sees the all of creation, 
including us, mm -hmm. that it's not just about us taking and getting resources and that God is using the natural world to take care of us, but that part of our role as followers of Christ is to take care of, care for, um, appreciate, be accountable to the created world, um, the natural world, however, whatever, however we want to look at that. Um, how different would that be um, in how we use water? Hmm. How different would that be in what we consume or what we do with our trash or, or what we do with land that has been misused? Um, you know, with people who have been misused, we, we find ways to bring healing and um, you know all kinds of um, you know, psychology and um, you know sociological changes to try and help affect those parts of our culture, our worlds that um, have harmed people. But what if we did that same thing as part of our relationship with the earth? So I mean that's that's one place to start is. You know, in that story of creation, we're inter we're interconnected, um, but we often see the natural world either as our our store, <laughs> our basket that that is for us to use, and we get to use all of these resources. Or sometimes we see it as the enemy, that thing that needs to be subdued, and that's one of the words that was used in that passage. And it's good to remember that in the time that that uh, the Old Testament was being compiled and written down, and is that people's relationship to the natural world was often one of fear. Uh, it was recognized as a power, as a force that they could not affect in some ways. And so, uh, the idea of subduing—that's a very human. Uh, perspective of you know we have to take we have to control this we have to um, and and over time that idea of that we have to control whether it's the water or whether it's the winds or whatever <clears throat> um, gave us this idea that somehow our under what was comfortable for us was superior to what was good for the creation. And that egocentrism, um, that sense of superiority, is I think toxic. Um, but anyhow, just it's it's another way of saying what would it look like to interact with creation as we would a person that we loved and respected. What would it cause us to ask about how we um, use the resources of the world and whether or not we're willing to be accountable. I, I'd like to, to play off of that statement about looking, looking uh, at ourselves as being in relationship with, with creation and not outside of it and trying to stamp it down or use it up. Um, Emiliori, in the chapter we, we have for today, um, he wants to say, and I, and I think this is really good, that the, the statement, when we refer to the world as creation, 
what's behind that is the idea of God as creator. And the God who is the creator of the world is none other than the triune God, the God who exists in an eternal relationship of lover, beloved, and loving. And so that that mutual, that, that relationship of internal mutuality that is God's own being, Father, Son, Spirit, that's out of which God creates the world. So relationality is like woven right into the, the, the structure of creation. We Creation is meant to reflect interconnectedness and rela- relationality because that's who God is too. And so when we do stuff, when we act towards the natural world in ways that try to separate, divide, uh, dominate, uh, destroy, use up, there, there's something significantly wrong with that. Um, it does not reflect at all uh, the, the, the God in whose image we have been created and the God who creates an interconnected world as a sort of reflection of the divine being. So there's, a, there's whole, this whole ethical side to our doctrine of creation. That's something that Meliori gets at really well. And that's also very, very much aligned with community of Christ theology of creation. Yeah, I mean, when you and Charmaine are talking about this, I the words that keep coming back to my mind are the scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to take and take and take, and mm-hmm. because we have to have our share. I don't care so much if you get yours, but I have to have mine so I can get ahead or whatever. So I just keep thinking about that scarcity mentality. And so the more we continue to take, the the less that there is, actually, when, when, when we have that mindset. Absolutely. And it there's two two different avenues where we are being destructive uh, with that. One is, you know, the 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 greed. I need to get mine, um, and so there is little um, respect for where we're getting it from. And then there's also this sense that we are in competition with other people, and so, you know. We live in a country where use of resources is um, irresponsible for several reasons. Uh, one is that we use so much of the Earth's resources, which means that now or in the future, it's not going to be available for people in other parts of the world. And the idea of the resources being there for humanity, it's for all humanity. It's not just for people in one or two places where they know how to get a whole bunch of resources and use them up quickly. This is intended to be for the good of all humanity. And yet, um, in some of our cultures, we have um, equated the number of resources with our superiority over others and and lack of care you know, to making sure that... Um, there is clean water for everyone, that there's a fair sharing of um, natural resources and of um, resources within the earth, and that land be something that be available to those who have, um, that who need the land to live from, rather than it being made into you know, mega farms to to produce one thing and not 
be available for the people who actually live there. So there's all of these different aspects of exactly what you're saying about this using up resources or, or hoarding them for ourselves that does that is that creates injustice among people but it also is an injustice to the world itself the the earth on which we live and the systems that have to work together to thrive so this is something Millery points out in that chapter and I think it's a really important connection to what Charmaine is saying that is that the creation is not divine the creation is not infinite the earth is not infinite Um, water is not infinite Uh, Charmaine and Tony are not infinite (laughs) Carla is not infinite we are finite beings God creates this amazing universe as an other but it has limits placed on it uh the, the universe is expanding and it will it will change. The solar system will die. This is part of the nature of things. Finitude is the word we want here. It's the theological word. We are finite beings. And actually our resources are finite. Um, there is not an infinite amount of oil. And so the idea that you can drill baby drill uh, is actually a, a kind of... A, a, it's it's a claim it's a claiming of it's a form of idolatry because it's a claiming that we and our needs are are infinite and we can do anything we want to we can claim the prerogatives of god and not even the real god it's a a god who's a, a tyrant actually so we need to claim our finitude it's the only way to make sure that we know how to make space for each other and make space for creatures and live together in a kind of shalom yeah, and actually that's a, a great lead-in, Tony, um, to, <laughs> uh, I was going to say that within cor- there is a corrective within the Christian tradition, and it's something that I think our church has really uh, lifted up in really positive ways, and that is, the, is what Jesus preached, at least in the Synoptic Gospels, um, which is the kingdom of God. That that is what God's desire for all of creation is, is this living together in peace and justice. And I especially think that um, that aspect of the kingdom of God that we sometimes think of as the peaceable kingdom is brings to mind images that help us see that this thing that God wills and want and that Jesus preached and... Um, told us to look forward to but to be a part of uh, really helps us to imagine with our minds and our hearts what this feels and looks like. So uh, for those listeners who may not be familiar, you might want to take a, a look sometime at some of the pictures that are op- that often come up when you say the peaceable kingdom. And it's from so Isaiah mm-hmm. that Isaiah has 11. the yeah. image of you know, the, the lion and the lamb and the child, these venomous snakes and these things, these predator animals um, living together in the same space, in peace, and uh, not devouring each other, but um, having a kind of, as Tony said, shalom, a wholeness uh, in their relationship with each other. And so I think within our our movement, we have this corrective that could remind us 
What is it that God um, calls us to? And if we go back to those images with a clear understanding of the language that you read about, um, we begin to see a bigger picture. It's, you know, um, Jesus' message was, was not about how do I get to heaven myself and be secured that I've got golden sandals or a harp or whatever, <laughs> but that that what how I live and how I believe and how I pray affects the animals around me, the trees and the grass, um, the relationship I have with my water source the relationship I have with my neighbors and the, the land that we grow things on. Um, it, it just really can help if we can keep saying, this is what, um, is, this is an image that the prophets from the Old Testament and Jesus uh, were trying to give us, to give us some glimpses of what it means to to live in God's will, to live towards God's call to us. And, and I think, Charmaine, was something you're pointing out here is that in Christian theology, the doctrine of creation and the idea of eschatology, the God's end game, these things are connected, which is why we speak about creation and new creation. And a really, a really, really bad eschatologies and really bad doctrines of creation tend to go hand in hand. So, uh, I, I won't name names, but many years ago there was a certain Secretary of the Interior uh, who was some kind of fundamentalist Christian who said that, I mean, his, his way of viewing natural resources was, and he said this publicly, we need to use up the Earth's natural resources so that Jesus will come back. It's a kind of, a, <laughs> it's a kind of an ecological... Uh, Russian roulette game he was thinking there. Let's force God's hand right. so that we can get salvation. Yeah. And, 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 and what a horrible eschatology, what a horrible view of creation, and what horrible ethics come from something like that. Um, so these things are, are connected. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Uh, earth is the theater of God's action. And so, um, gosh, taking care of creation, viewing God as the creator of the good creation, and ourselves as as uh, stewards, caretakers, nurturers of creation. That's it's really important to uh, our ethics and to our our eschatology, our view of the end game of things. So these things are all kind of interconnected, Carla. Well, they absolutely are. And and you kind of led me into my next question about uh, you're talking about the Secretary of the Interior and um, government. <laughs> uh, and so I was thinking about like. Science can help us here, right? Like science is not the enemy of this. And I think that some people probably think that it is, but science is not. Science, we know a lot more than we used to know. And we know that some things are not good and some things hurt the earth. But, you know, I was just thinking about that anti-science creationism kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. which people think that they're doing exactly what God is wanting them to do, but... That's not what we're saying here at all, is it? No, no. We're we are saying that that's, <laughs> that science is not the enemy. It may be an inconvenient reminder of our irresponsibility, but 
thank God for that. Um, and it, literally, um, mm-hmm. you know, I the science has <laughs> science in many ways reinforces this whole idea of um, our interconnectedness, our need to be responsible to and in relationship with the world around us, to be responsible for our our use of things. I, you know, I, I, in thinking about our talk today, um, I was, it's like, we know things, and they're provable now. You know, we know that there are things that we do that are harming the bees and the pollinators, and we know what some of those are. Um, we know that some may not have a direct cause, but like, uh, certain pesticides and herbicides we use destroy the gut um, enzymes in bees that then uh, endanger their immune system and lead to you know premature death of our bees and that may not be the only thing but we know that that's there's recent um, uh, experimentation and uh, that has been you know acknowledged we, we know that when um, oil companies start doing um, sonic blasts in the ocean to look for uh, pockets of oil, we know that that harms the mammals and even the phytoplankton, that basic element of uh, life in the oceans, uh, that it that it's damaged. Um, we we know this. There's all kinds of studies that show it. The government reports indicate yes. We know that using these sonic blasts, as we allow oil companies to to do this in the oceans, will affect the marine life. We we know it, but we but we don't we don't change our behavior, even with the knowing of it. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, it, it just really hit me as we were thinking about this, is why is it that we don't feel like, oh my gosh, we now know this, we need to react appropriately. And this is one of those places where science is our best conscience because it keeps proving to us, showing us that we are connected. We do have a responsibility to other elements in the ecosystem Um, but we do need to ask ourselves I think it's a really hard spiritual question is why are we not responding to these things that we know are harmful to other parts of creation why are we not pulling back instead of insisting that oh well our need for oil is more important than all than the whales. Um, I mean, they're connecting some of these beachings of whole pods of whales to this these use of these sonic blasts that uh, deafen uh, mammals um, and that cause them to try to escape it from their own homes, uh, their own places in their ecosystem, because this is harming them. Or killing them in some situations. So, um, but why is it that we don't think that that should be stopped? 
why do we let it go on unchecked? And that's our own our own egocentrism, I think, as individuals but also as cultures that that we need to ask ourselves about. Um, yeah. So so the, the the doctrine of creation definitely has ethical and political consequences for us right now. It's really, really important. Um, you know, the, the, the Community of Christ um, statement, uh, basic belief statement says, as an expression of divine love, God created the heavens and earth and all that is in them and called them good. Everything belongs to God and should be cherished and used justly according to divine purposes. So, if, if we're going to talk about God as creator and the world as creation and creation is interconnected, we have to, we have to accept that whatever is in the honeybees is in us, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, and whatever is in the fish is in us. And what we, what we do to them, we're doing to ourselves and to our children and our grandchildren. So it's an interconnected world. That's the way it, it reflects the divine interconnectivity. And so um, we, we have then in the doctrine of creation a really solid ethical principle or ethical kind of fulcrum for, for action that is responsible towards the future of earth. Um, yeah, Christian, good Christian theology and really good science are not enemies of each other. Um, good theology and good science ought to be enemies of faux science and bad theology, <laughs> right? And so, you know, faux, by faux science, I mean science that's, that's sponsored to try and uh, ideologically prove things that are beneficial to stockholders in a corporation, or um, science that tries to uh, establish things that, that majority opinion, peer-reviewed, worldwide science has, has established as the case, for example, climate change. This is, this is, no, longer, this is no longer up for grabs. This, this is no longer a matter of your science versus my science. This is, this is scientifically established. And therefore, um, in the interest, this is a place where good science and good theology share a common concern for truth, for truthfulness, and not for ideology to, to kind of um, uh, forestall efforts to, to make changes that are good for whales and sparrows and little kids, right? So, um, so yeah, and by the way, the doctrine of, the doctrine of creation uh, can make lots and lots and lots of space for evolutionary science, evolutionary biology. Um, these, these things are not enemies. Uh, I believe in God, and I believe that dinosaurs really existed. These, these, <laughs> things, are not, these things are not contrary. You, just, you have to just be careful not to work with a kind of uh, literalistic hermeneutic of the Bible. That's, that's the source of the problem for lots of this. Mm-hmm. I, I want you to know before you go on that I made a note that faux science and bad theology are both excellent band names as well. <laughs> right. Well, faux let us science. know when you, when you play your first gig. We want to be there. Right. Bad, bad theology. That, I like that. Could be a, that. Could be the name of a kind of like uh, twenty, like a current uh, a punk band. That could be like. The, I, it would be perfect. A new, it's it? really, really a good. A new phase of but, punk. 
every time I think about climate change, like my stomach just goes into a knot because I know we're in a countdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in yeah. a countdown of what, 10 years, 12 years? We have mm-hmm. just a few short years to change this before mm-hmm. things are, you can't turn them around anymore. So, um, I mean, calling all Christians, right? It It's time to get real about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. This, this is actually going to affect our children. My daughter, who's almost one year old, it's going to affect her life in deep, deep ways if we don't do something about it. So it, that just, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. I think that's a really, really important point. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're, we're threatening ourselves with, with, uh, ecocide, right? And, um, this, the reason we're threatening ourselves with it is because of greed and malice and ignorance. And, and I think it's partly because we really uh, have come to believe, or at least not question, whether or not, um, money or consumerism is the norm for our lives and so we we end up valuing um, richness rather than responsibility for the for the world around us Uh, we value the ease of getting some resources um, over the complications that it will make for the those who are least able to make the adapt adaptations who have the least money who have the least ability to move when when uh, as the the oceans are rising um, it, it's it's about uh, profit um, you know it's about consumerism we're in this consumer mentality where the more we consume the the stronger our economy and our nation will be and that's not accurate. There is a cost for our consumerism. Um, there is a cost for uh, what we would say are cheap resources or getting resources cheaply. And, you know, little things that, again, we science is telling us, oh my goodness, you know, areas that have had lots of fracking and have had uh, lots of water forced down underneath and then drained away there are earthquakes happening there and you know who who does that harm most you know that harms most the people who live there and can't move who don't have the resources to go anywhere else um, it's affecting you know the groundwater in places where again um, the people with the least flexibility um, have the least chance of avoiding it so it, but it's it's driven by our sense of consumerism, and what we need, what we must have, and that we must have it cheaply, but but we are unwilling to look at what the real costs are, both in this generation and as you've noted in the generations to come, and um, you know, this is one of those places where, we, as you've said, we have to make some decisions. And we've been avoiding making decisions mm-hmm. uh, because it would be inconvenient, it would be uncomfortable, it would mean we would have to change some of the ways that we see uh, what's good for the economy um, and what's good for profit and what's good for cheap. <laughs> and, and But those are all money things, and we forget to figure in, calculate in what is good for people, 
what is good for the water, what is good for the air, what is good for the land, what is good for animals who are wild animals, who are dependent on the systems as they are. What, you know, what does it do to make healthy the oceans? What does it do to uh, you know, help establish this interconnectedness? And uh, so, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of pieces at work here. And we, though we may not be able to change them all right away, unless we're willing to be aware of them, we won't be able to change them. I, I think that w- what we're tapping on here is a, there's a spiritual problem. Mm. And, you know, we're, in this podcast, we're talking about the good creation. At some point, we, we probably need to talk about what in Christian theology is meant by sin. But just to kind of, I'm not going to go there yet, but we're, we're actually talking about it right here. We're, we're touching on it in terms of greed and selfishness and, an unwillingness to act, an un- a, re- a refusal to to learn. Actually, um, one of, one of my spiritual mentors was the that the Anglican spiritual writer Evelyn Underhill, who lived in the first part of the 20th century, and she wrote some wonderful books. And one of her books I love so much is it's just simply called On the Spiritual Life. And she makes the statement I've always remembered it. She says, "We human beings spend most of our life." Uh, conjugating three verbs to want to do and to have and all the while we're doing this we we are forgetting the most important verb of all which is to be we're so afraid of just being we want stuff we got to have stuff we need to do stuff and uh, part of that grasping clutchingness uh, is what's is what's at play here in terms of the good, the good creation and the danger that, that, that is to it. Um, notice the passage you started this off with, Carla. Um, God just wants things to be. God makes space for, for a rich multitude of creatures just to be and doesn't really tell them you need to be productive. He does say be fruitful and multiply, but he doesn't say you, you, also, <laughs> you, you also need to drill the oceans and make money. <laughs> so we're we're so afraid of just being. We probably need to explore that, you know, at a later time. It's because it does fit into systematic theology in terms of the human condition. But, but um, yeah, we we are we are uh, having, wanting, and doing our way into a major disaster if we're not if if we don't if we don't change course. And we in Community of Christ um, recognize the sacredness of creation as one of our enduring principles. I think earlier you read from our basic beliefs, Tony. Do you have, I, I think you said you had something in front of you about the sacredness of creation. Have you read that oh, yet? Yeah, I, I think that's important yeah, for our leaders. I haven't. Re- listeners. I haven't uh, read it. I have had have it in front of me. It's, it's just the statement of the sacredness of creation that's from the enduring principles. And it's just some bullet points. Uh, in the beginning, God created and called it good. Uh, spirit and material seen and unseen are related creation's creation's power to create or destroy reminds us of our vulnerability in this life god is still creating to fulfill divine purpose we join with god as stewards of care and hope for all creation that's kind of our basic our our most our our enduring principles related to the sacredness of creation Um, i love the idea that god 
God creation's not something God wound up once upon a time and then God's like an absentee landlord. At every moment, creation is related to God in every way. I I do not have I do not give myself being. I have I have borrowed being from God. And so do the honeybees, and so does the cat out on the porch waiting for my attention later. And <laughs> So do the plants in our yard. Everything that is has its being as a gift from God. And so, gosh, that has a lot of ethical and spiritual power when I think about it. So, yeah, um, that statement on the sacredness of creation is really important to community of Christ. It is. And, I, and you, you keep bringing me back to that idea of the word image and um, how that word image has to do with the empire and the emperor putting his image in every single city. So people remember that that's the emperor. And like, if we just saw God's, I don't know, face God in in every single tree and blade of grass, like what a powerful and wonderful reminder that could be. Hmm. I just keep going back to that idea that God is within every single thing that we see, every single part of nature. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we were, also doing it just a little quick search before we started um, to kind of look at you know what does Jesus say about the natural world and if, one of the first things that comes to mind is how often Jesus uses analogies that people would have recognized as they observed the world around them um, but some of them are really poignant in in that they give us these little glimpses of how God sees the creation. Um, and in in Matthew, there's the, the passages about um, the sparrow, you know, that God notices when a sparrow falls. Um, and a similar passage in Luke, um, I'm not going to get it quite right, but um, it's it, this is uh, Luke 12. It says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one is forgotten in God's sight. And just to sit with that for a little while and to say, what is it that Jesus is saying about God? Is that, you know, these birds that fly over us, God is supremely aware of each of them. And, it, of course, this was intended... Um, in the Gospels to help people know, especially those who had no voice and who were invisible in their culture or who were considered uh, too lowly to notice. Um, It was used to help them know that God notices them. But it's also affirming, again, giving us these little glimpses of how Jesus wanted people to know that God saw creation saw the birds and the animals and the grasses and the lilies if you remember those uh, stories those parables um, that how God sees them and values them and you know that's something again that I think mm-hmm. can be those reminders for us yeah I, a lot of our seminar students find themselves uh, attracted to St. Francis when they're doing ancient and medieval theology with us. And St. Francis, St. Francis of Assisi is a powerful figure for us in terms of 
the good creation and our relationship to creation. Migliore cited that famous article by Lynn White back in the 1960s, in which this historian Lynn White um, uh, is trying to account for the why, what, what's the source of the ecological problems in the modern world. And I, he very thoughtfully argues that in some ways lots of Christian theology has been a source of that problem. But even Lynn White, somewhere in that article, I think it's been a long time since I read it, but towards the end of that article he says, this is a place where Christians need to rediscover St. Francis. St. Francis, who thought of the birds as brother and sister, the sun and moon as brother and sister, who thought of, uh, in his very Jesus-centered piety, thought of the world, the physical aspects of the world, of creatures as having every bit as much a, a right to have a place as he had. And so, yeah, that, he's, he's a great figure to teach us about, about that and uh, to, to open our spiritual, spirituality up to um, a kind of uh, creation-centeredness that, that could, could really be beneficial to us. Well, I've really appreciated this conversation. I really have. Um, I mean, and not only have I learned a lot, of, as I usually do, but I do have a new band name, just in case I ever need it. <laughs> is, there, is there anything that you wanted to speak about that I forgot to ask? Hmm. Well, I think we went in lots of interesting directions today, and I'm sure there's more that could be said about many of them, but uh, really appreciated the the many avenues that you opened up. Yeah. I can't think of anything except to say to call God creator and the universe's creation is a big thing. It's a really big and important thing. It's a statement of value. Um, if this thing is true, then it is utterly wrong to rape, pillage, and plunder the world and its resources. There's something desperately wrong about that. So that's the only thing I would add. Well, amen. <laughs> Charmaine, did you want to say something? No, I'm good. We're just going to um, kind of let you know where we're going for the next podcast. And in um, the Migliori book, which is called Faith Seeking Understanding, uh, his next topic in his systematic his approach to systematic theology is the providence of God and the mystery of evil and so we figured that would be a very fascinating one to take on for next time uh, God's providence or um, another way of saying it is God's will at work in the world and the mystery of evil yeah, yeah. yeah. well yes evil is a, is a word that I don't use very frequently because I don't know if I completely understand it. And I don't know if the people I'm talking to completely understand it. So that will be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I, there's uh, lots of places to go with it. So it could be fun. Could be fun. For us, this stuff is always fun, Carla. But, you know, we don't get out much. So. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> well, thank you again for being on the podcast. And thank you for sharing your thoughts. I really appreciate them. Wow. Thank you. Yes, very much. We're, we're, we're very glad to, to share these with you and uh, very glad to talk about things that matter. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use 
And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. Dave Hines